for joining me on episode three of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, and I am just a regular gal trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. That means you, and I hope you enjoy our conversation with John Obolewski as we talk about your mental health. All right, welcome to the podcast of Unique on Purpose, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. My name is Rachel Gentleman, and I'm super excited. Well, I'm always super excited, but my guest today is John Obolewski, who I met 11 years ago at a conference, and his story is just one that deserves to be shared. He is the founder of Converge Coaching. He is a husband, a father, a grandfather. He was in pastoral ministry for 15 years. He's been in the business world for almost 20. John, you are a blogger. You are the host of the Leading from Alignment podcast. You are a sought-out speaker. You've written articles for churchleaders.com. You are an author of four books, including The Pastor Disaster. And I have you here today because your story is, it's a long process. It was a long process to get you to where you are today to help other pastors get into alignment. Your story is one of pain and you turned it into purpose. And I, I just want you to share your story with us. Well, Rachel, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's, a, it's an honor. Um, uh, just appreciate you and your heart for leaders and your heart for the Lord. And I've just, uh, I feel, I feel privileged to be here today with you. Um, I guess, you know, the story starts back in, uh, in, in the 1990s, believe it or not, all the way back then. I was pastoring. I was the lead pastor of a, of a growing church in mid-Michigan. And um, I was about four and a half years into that uh, tenure, our tenure there, when I had uh, an experience that I had never anticipated would happen to me. I never uh, understood it uh, prior to this. We weren't prepared for it in Bible college, but um, through a series of events and, and years and years of not taking care of myself mentally and emotionally, I went into a steep depression, uh, Rachel. And uh, it, it's kind of uncanny, you know, we're, we're pastoring a growing church. I'm married to Laura, my beautiful wife. We yeah, you married up. You married up. I just I want think, to add yeah, that in there. <laughs> I think so. I think that's really true. Um, you know, four, four healthy boys. We lived in a house with a pool. I mean, on the outside, everything looked great. But on the inside, um, I was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And I got to a place, Rachel, where um, the, you know, and back then the church didn't talk about it very much. So I wasn't even sure what was going on until mm-hmm. I got to my doctor and I got to a counselor. But Uh, A major depression uh, crashed into my life, uh, uninvited, and um, it got me to a place, Rachel, where I was thinking about the least painful way to take my life. Wow. So my wife, God bless her, I probably wouldn't be here today without her, um, got me to a doctor. Uh, She got me to a counselor, and uh, those were those were helpful uh, start uh, starting steps to recovery from this. I, uh, but I was experiencing 
uh, insomnia. I was experiencing anxiety along with the depression. I was experiencing a lack of appetite, and I had I had a lot of symptoms that were really difficult for me. But uh, getting to my doctor, getting on some medicine, uh, talking with a counselor, and trying to unpack some of the things that had contributed to the depression, and then um, my wife put three couples around me who were safe, who were fun, and who would pray for me. Uh, and she ran interference and kept people who would uh, drain whatever little mm-hmm. energy I have left mm-hmm. from me. And so it was just a, a wonderful uh, start to getting better. But that was just the start. Uh, Long term, it required really a, a learning a whole new way to live my life. Now, you said that that Laura was the one that said, you need to go get counseling. You need to get help. What event led her to do that? I mean, did she just hit a breaking point herself? Well, I'm sure that she was under duress because I was under duress. Okay. But uh, when I was, you know, when she saw me um, uh, crying, um, not wanting to eat, not able to sleep. I was getting about an hour of sleep a night for about three or four months. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, uh, a mess. She knew I was in trouble. Okay. Now, you said the 90s. So when she says you need to get help, was there a little bit of agitation to even go get help because it was more taboo back then? Um, you know, I was in such bad shape. I was I was desperate. You know, okay. So I was going to do... You know, I was ready to do what was necessary to get better. Mm-hmm. So I was able to overcome that pretty quickly. Okay. okay. In terms of the, any objection to going to a doctor or going to a counselor. Okay. So what exactly led up to those points where, like you said, you, you have this beautiful family, you have this great wife, you have this growing church. On the outside, mm-hmm. everything looks great. But what exactly led to that depression, to having you mentally and emotionally uh, very unhealthy? Well, there were probably, I could think of maybe four things right off the top of my head. Uh, first, my pace was out of control. Okay. My, my schedule. Um, and that, that was something that had been out of control for, I don't know, my entire, up to that point, the entire time I was in pastoral ministry. Um, I didn't know what to do with my anger. I grew up in a home where anger was never really truly expressed until it exploded. Oh, okay. um, And uh, so I, you know, I had that kind of model to me. And then I thought, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor, right? So um, I shouldn't feel this way. And I certainly Mm -hmm. can't express that. But, you know, as I learned later, uh, mishandling anger is a a key contributor to depression. So that that would be a second one. Or the third one is I had no idea, uh, Rachel, about how to deal with difficult people. Mm, okay. And um, I, I, I discovered that difficult people go to church. <laughs> and, yep. And, um, and instead of having a good sense of boundaries and knowing when to push back when people would say things or do things that were hurtful, I just didn't understand any of that. So I let people say whatever they wanted to say and do whatever they wanted to do with no, uh, no resistance. Uh, for me, which is extremely unhealthy. And then I think the the other 
part was I I uh, I didn't I didn't know how to be my own best friend. Mm. Um, I, I was my own worst critic, and I had I had a very difficult time loving myself from a biblical perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, embracing God's opinion of me, treating myself with kindness instead of criticism, uh, understanding the difference between selfishness and self-care. Okay. And so this whole idea of becoming my own best friend was a revolutionary thought to me. And I did. So the first thing you might find this interesting. The first thing my counselor said to me in the first session is, John, you need to learn how to be nice to yourself. <laughs> we're always taught to be nice to other people, but we're never taught to treat ourselves well. That's correct. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I mean, I looked across <laughs> the table and said, I don't know how to do that. Mm hmm. And so those were, I think those were the, the causes, the contributors that over a long period of time, Rachel, just kept building and building and building when all of a sudden, whammo, it all collapsed on It all collapsed on you. Well, I want to talk real quick. Um, you mentioned the schedule and we live yeah. in a culture and it's, and, and it's not just 2021. It's been like this for a long time we live in such a fast-paced culture and you're not succeeding unless you are incredibly busy we almost wear it as a badge of honor well i'm busy and Mm -hmm. and unless we are accomplishing a whole heck of a lot in the shortest amount of time we are not successful and so is that kind of just the rabbit trail that you went down of i'm only successful if my schedule is filled every day yeah uh, that, I mean, that's a great way to, to put it. I, I felt that busyness uh, equated val- to value. Mm-hmm. You know, that the busier I was, the more valuable I was to God. Okay. Uh, which was really messed up, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we think about we think about Jesus when he was baptized by John the Baptist. He was approximately 30 years old at that time. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he, he had n- no real public ministry up until that point, and he gets baptized, and this voice, the heavens open, and the voice, an audible voice from God the Father says, this is my son in whom I am, in whom I am well pleased. And it, it just struck me uh, that God was pleased with his son before he ever began his public ministry. Mm, that's good. I like that. And I had that all turned around. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like God was pleased with me if I uh, was a workaholic in okay. the name of Jesus, right? And, and <laughs> right. here's one of the right. traps, you know, mm-hmm. we spiritualize it in the church, you know, like, oh, what a dedicated person I am, or mm-hmm. what a dedicated, and we cheer on the very behaviors that create the environment for leaders to get in trouble yes. emotionally. And this is not just pastors. I've seen lay people do this, Correct. where they work their 40-hour-a-week job, and then they're at um, their church, you know, working for Jesus and breaking their necks, breaking their backs, like you said, mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus. And it's not healthy. It's not okay. And it leads to that burnout. How do you find that balance of the schedule? Yeah. Well, in the ministry, so let's just talk about ministry leaders for a minute. Okay. Uh, the ministry, and especially lead pastoring, is unlike any other role I've ever served in. Mm-hmm. You don't, it's not like a, a nine to five kind of setup, right? Ministry right. happens at different times. It, on different days. Mm-hmm. And so there's no real structure around, you know, you're not punching a clock, you're, you, <laughs> you usually have 
a lot of freedom, you know, within that context, especially if you're the lead pastor and, and how your day unfolds. Mm-hmm. And um, what happens is because you don't have those parameters that are forced on you, you know, you begin to take on more than you should, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're having success. So, you, um, you know, go ahead. Rachel. No, I was just going to just. Um, so do you think that um, the more successful you are, the more in danger you are? Uh, I know that that's true for me. OK, so not everybody, and but I, maybe on a personal level. Right. And I would suspect, though, I, let me just say this. We work with. Um, I don't know, I've lost count of the thousands of pastors we've worked with in the last eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, but many of them, this is the pattern we see. They get a lot of success, uh, and they. Uh, what happens is they think they can take on more. You kind of get inebriated with success. Okay. And it fools you into thinking that you can take on more. Okay. And uh, what begins to happen slowly but surely is their uh, their human relationships begin to get neglected. Uh, they're getting less sleep. Their their walk with God starts to get a little shaky in terms of time being spent with the Lord. They're not exercising. And so it's not long before they start to feel depression and or anxiety knocking on their door. So I don't think mine is an isolated case. I think it's more it's more common than not. Okay. Now, you also, you talked about difficult people, that yes, it's not just the world that has difficult people, but in our churches, the church is supposed to be the place for unhealthy people to go, you know, the sick to go to -hmm. the hospital. The church is supposed to be that hospital. And it's hard. It's hard to walk people through their baggage, through their garbage. But you had this problem, really, of letting people walk all over you. And how did you change that? Well, I read a lot of books. (laughs) about boundaries and Mm -hmm. things like that. I got a coach in my life who, and I don't think we called them coaches back then, but um, somebody who I could talk to about it. So let me give you an example. Okay. Uh, If I knew I was going to have a difficult conversation with somebody, I would sit down with my coach before that meeting and say, here's the situation. Here's the scenario. Here's what I'm thinking about saying, and here's the path I'm trying to go down. And he would give me feedback. Mm-hmm. I would go have that difficult conversation. And then I would debrief with my coach afterwards and tell him, here's, here's what happened. Here's how the conversation went. And he would, he would uh, reinforce what I did well. And he would point out, Hey, you could have maybe tried this angle or said this, this might've been a better way to handle it. Mm-hmm. So through study and through coaching, and, and also the revelation, you know, that telling people the truth in love is part of the growth plan God has for their life as mm-hmm. well as mine. Mm-hmm. That those, those things over time helped me to get really good where I was in the past. When I was a, a pastor, I didn't know how to do this. Now I'm very good at, at pushing back appropriately when people are, are violating a boundary or trying to do injury to me. Okay. And and it's hard because as Christians and as pastors, you have this idea and the world has this idea too, that we have to be Mr. or Mrs. Nice guy. You just have to be nice all the time. And I think we have a skewed idea of what nice looks like. And like you said, putting up boundaries, telling the truth in love is being nice. 
you know? Yeah. So uh, last one, you talked about you are your worst critic and that there is a difference between being selfish and having self-care. I think that's that's a fine line that most of us don't understand what that looks like. What does that look like, the selfishness versus self-care? Because if I, I know, especially for a female, if you're doing any sort of self-care, you automatically think you're being selfish. Right. Well, you know, in Philippians 2.4, the Apostle Paul writes this, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Mm-hmm. And note the he didn't say, don't look to your own interests, only look to the interests of others. No, it was mutual, right? Yeah. Said, don't just look at your, don't just pay attention to what you need. Also, pay attention to what others need. So there is this. It's not either or. It's both. Mm, okay. And, and for me, the one of the biggest problems I had was was being very harsh with myself. So I would call myself a loser or stupid or dumb or an idiot. And I didn't realize, Rachel, the negative impact of that self-talk that was so unhealthy. You know, God didn't see me that way. Uh, even other people, a lot of other people didn't see me that way. But I had this, I had this uh, difficulty being friendly to myself, being kind to myself. And real quick, I'll just tell this story. I, the Lord really helped set me free from that. Okay. I was driving. I got to work one morning when I was in the corporate world, worked for an IT company, and it, uh, had a one-hour commute through Detroit traffic, get to the uh, the uh, office, 6.30 in the morning, pop open the trunk of my car, and I left my PC at home. Oh, no. And I remember being so frustrated and I and I yelled. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to use the same volume level here. <laughs> but I remember yelling out loud. I am so stupid. Yeah. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and say, "John, I'm not going to let you get away with that anymore." Mm. And it was one of those moments, right, where you're kind of frozen in place. Yeah. And that was probably 16 years ago, Rachel. Mm-hmm. And I can count on one hand in the last 16 years that I've said something negative about myself. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I felt convicted immediately and repented and asked the Lord to forgive me. So it was really one of those God moments that got me past what had been a lifelong was tripping me up and getting in my way for the, for my entire life without me really realizing what it was doing to me. Yeah. Cause there's a power in words. And in, in, in culture, you know, we're not allowed to tell somebody else that they're stupid. We're not allowed to call somebody else a right. loser, but we find it okay to say those things about ourselves and be self-deprecating to ourselves. And really right. there's power in those words and what it does to us on a daily basis. Okay. So tell me how, if I, okay, so say I'm a senior pastor I'm working in ministry and I'm falling into that trap of, that's John, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to fall into that trap of becoming depressed or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Neglecting myself mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that pastor that's telling you that? I would say that the percentages are against you. (laughs) Okay, tell me those percentages. Yeah, last year, Barna came out with a report that said 50% of pastors are suffering with major depression. Okay. So that's one in two. Mm -hmm. So you've got an even chance 
of that happening to you, 50% chance. And if you're not taking care of yourself, I think that percentage goes up. But we talk about just the facts, right? Here's the facts. Mm -hmm. And from a reliable source, that half of lead pastors in the United States are suffering with depression. So it's highly likely that it will happen to you. Um, And then I say to them, you know, I told myself the same thing. Uh, I had people warning me. Uh, family members, friends saying, John, slow down, you know, John, ease up, John, you know, lighten up. Mm-hmm. And I just brushed it off mm-hmm. and, and thought nothing bad will happen to me. Right. Um, Somehow you thought you were invincible to all of this? Correct. Okay. Yep. And I was wrong. And um, so, you know, I can't force any pastor to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. So I share statistics and I share my story and in hopes that they'll get in front of this. See, here's the deal with depression and anxiety, much easier to prevent than it is to cure. Mm-hmm. Um, although there is a very high cure rate for uh, depression, especially if you get the right kind of help. But I think it's about 80% recovery rate. It is a journey. It mm-hmm. takes a lot longer than you you think it's going to take, and, and while you're recovering, mm-hmm. you will be forced to slow down. Okay. So you either learn how to slow down now while you're healthy, which is advisable, or you crash into the wall of depression and realize you're forced to slow down, and you're going to be working and operating at reduced capacity for, I'm, I mean, maybe one to two years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, if I'm if I'm in ministry, I want to get to in a, in a few minutes converge coaching and the services that you offer and how you help people that 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 find themselves in that place. But give me a few tips on how to prevent going down that road. You know, we talked about making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and that we're not our worst critic. But and we also talked about managing our schedule a lot better. Are there any other mm-hmm. things that you can tell me or tell us? how we can prevent going down that depression and anxiety road. Yes. I I would say work on your walk with God. Mm -hmm. Um, That will help. Ironically, um, I I gave my life to Jesus when I was 16 and I was taught from the very beginning that you, you spent time with God every day. So that's what I did Mm -hmm. up until that crash. I hadn't, I don't think I had missed a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd missed a couple of days in all those years. Okay. Um, so I was really working on that part of my life. But what I wasn't doing was letting God talk to me about what was going on inside of me. So that, that was a missing component. So work on your walk with God. Um, get your body moving. Mm. Uh, ac- exercise is a huge help and uh, preventive uh, mechanism to keep you healthy. Mm-hmm. mentally and emotionally. And then third, I think nurture those relationships that really fill you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, hum- the human relationships. My pastoral ministry can be very isolating, mm-hmm. especially the lead pastor rule. Mm-hmm. And, um, and nothing good happens in long-term isolation uh, in the life of a, a leader, in the life of a lay person for that matter. So I think those are three practical things, you know. So take care of your walk with God, take care of your body, 
and and really uh, spend time nurturing those relationships that feed your soul. Okay, so let's, um, before we end, I, I want you to tell me a little bit about Converge Coaching that you started eight, nine years ago and how you have taken your past pain, all uh, of just the garbage and the baggage that you went through and how you are turning it around to help other pastors, other leaders. What exactly is Converge Coaching doing? So Converge Coaching, our, our mission is to help leaders lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Okay. When pastors work with us, the, the end goal is they leave feeling healthier, they leave feeling more confident, and they leave feeling more competent. So the way we achieve that, uh, several different mechanisms. Uh, uh, one way is through one-on-one coaching and mentoring. Mm-hmm. And we do, we do a significant amount of that where we just enter into the life of a leader and walk alongside that leader for sometimes it's a three months, sometimes it's a year, depending on what's going on in their world. And we kind of help them, mentor them into, first of all, figuring out, you know, where am I at in, in the spectrum of health here, especially mental and emotional well-being? And then what is a what is a pathway to health? And so we kind of identify, assess where they are, and then just walk alongside them as they learn how to implement really four or five areas. And I think we've touched on all of them in this uh, in this uh, uh, call. So that's one way we help. Another way we help is through lead pastor huddles, cohorts, where we gather a small group of pastors together, meet monthly and uh, work on things together. We've obviously, we've written books. We, we, uh, we train large groups of pastors as well. I mean, these are kind of the, the ways that we, we help, but it's all, it's all wrapped in this thought of getting pastors to get healthy and stay healthy and figure out that the, the approach the practical approach to actually executing that kind of life. And it's the beautiful thing is it's not hard to conceptualize. Okay. Very simple. It's, but it's a little harder to implement. And so we found that just coming alongside with a leader is tremendously helpful in helping them achieve that. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, does you have to be a pastor or do you help companies too? Maybe the CEO of a company is incredibly burnt out and they're not, their schedule yeah. is not in alignment. Do you help with that too? Yes. I would say probably 95% of our client base is, uh, is in the nonprofit space. Oh, okay. But we do help, you know, we do help and have helped quite a few uh, business leaders Okay. as well, because, you know, a business CEO the the, the uh, statistics of depression and anxiety with the CEO CEO of a company track pretty closely. Not quite as bad as a lead pastor, mm-hmm. but you know fairly closely in terms of percentages mm-hmm. with burnout and depression. So yeah, we've had uh, some real success actually working with with uh, business leaders in this particular area. Awesome. Well, if you are uh, a pastor or maybe even a CEO of a company, and you would say this. Converge Coaching is something that I I need in my life. Head on over to www.convergecoaching.com. You can also find Converge Coaching on Facebook, Instagram. John has his own podcast, Leading from Alignment. It's also on YouTube. John is also the author of Unshakable Leader, Unshakable You, 
putting the good and goodbye and the pastor disaster, which you can find all of those on his convergecoaching.com. Any last words, John, before we close? Yeah, I guess what I'd just like to wrap it up, Rachel, by um, saying to any leader that's listening today uh, who might be struggling, you know, maybe you're having insomnia or you don't want to eat, uh, waves of sadness are hitting you, and you feel alone in that, look, that is a burden. Depression is a burden far too heavy for you to carry by yourself. As soon as you share that burden with somebody else who's safe and competent, um, that burden is automatically cut in half. Um, you probably will not be able to work your way out of it on your own. Mm. Um, so find somebody you trust, somebody who is competent and safe to journey alongside you. Um, depression thrives in secrecy. It's healed when it's brought into the light. That's good. That's good. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate you being here today and being vulnerable and sharing your story to help others. And thank you all for listening. You have uh, been listening to the Unique on Purpose podcast where we are helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. And we will see you next time. Thank you again for joining me on the third episode of Unique on Purpose. I hope you enjoyed that with John Obaleski. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved, and because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you next time.